good to be with y'all this morning. I would like to welcome anyone who is joining us from a Seacoast campus and say a special happy Mother's Day to my mama who is watching from Emerald Isle, North Carolina. My name is Jenna Surratt and I serve as the Sisterhood Director here at the Mount Pleasant campus. I'd like to, um, I'll never forget my first Mother's Day. Jason and I had a one-month-old baby girl, and he decided that he was going to make this Mother's Day extra special because it was my first one. So he planned a romantic getaway for just the two of us and took me to a little place outside of Florence. That's Florence, South Carolina. <laughs> to a place called Darlington for a NASCAR race. <laughs> so this year, while I'm not on a glamorous getaway, Looking at you guys is certainly better than looking at a man with a number three shaved into his back hair. <laughs> Seriously though, it is such an honor to be able to introduce you to the five amazing women who are going to be sharing their hearts with us today. I believe we all have something that we can benefit from one another, which is why this five in five is so impactful. All of these women come from different backgrounds and have vastly different stories. Before they get started, I'm gonna tell you just a little bit, little bit about each one of them. Starting with Mamie Rand here. So Mamie has got to be one of the sweetest women alive. She and her husband John have five children and y'all aren't gonna believe this, one granddaughter. Can you believe this woman is a grandmother? Um, John and Mamie have worked on two spoken word projects with our West Ashley campus pastor, Chris Russo, and their hearts just overflow with generosity and hospitality. You have probably seen and definitely heard the beautiful Rachel Davis as she is one of our worship artists here at Seacoast, and she is a graduate of the Seacoast School of Worship, born and raised in Michigan, she loves dogs. I got to know Rachel a little bit last fall on the sisterhood hike, and all I'm gonna say about that is when Rachel is there, bears beware. <laughs> Taz Haley is joining us from our North Charleston campus. Taz is a fierce woman of God with a passion for children, especially those in the areas of abuse, foster care, and adoption. This world-changing woman is wrapping up school with a degree in government and public policy with a master's in social work, all while raising three fine young gentlemen. Yeah, we can give her a hand for that. Pastor Debbie Hopper has been leading women's ministry here at Seacoast for 10 years. And in addition to Mother's Day, it is her birthday weekend. <laughs> I've had the joy and honor of serving underneath Pastor Debbie for the past seven years, and she is such an incredible woman of God. She has a passion for missions, and her heart is to help every single woman get over themselves so that they can reach their full potential in Christ. And I'm so grateful for all she has poured into me and so many others. Pastor Debbie and her fabulous husband Gibson are celebrating 24 years of marriage this year. She is a biological mama to three dynamic women, Nani to 10, and a spiritual mama to thousands. 
Blair, yes. Blair Johnson is one of my dear friends. We've been really good friends for about 10 years, and I've been trying to get this girl to write a book for almost all 10 of those years. She's an incredible writer, and I'm believing it's gonna happen one day. Blair is a Georgia cheerleader, and she married Travis, who is a Georgia Bulldog football player, and together they have, ten, they have four, uh, not 10, that'd be a lot. <laughs> They have four of the most gorgeous children, all under the age of 10. And Blair's heart is to live on mission in the midst of motherhood every single day. Before we dive in, I would love to pray for us. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these women who are so obedient to your call. God, I just thank you for the way that they are living their lives, worthy of the calling they have received, and I ask that you would fill them fresh right now with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through them to each and every person who is listening. God, I believe that you have some incredible things to say, and I thank you so much that your power is made known through our stories. So we give you all the honor and glory for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, each of these women is here today to share with us, but this is not what they do every single day. None of them are professional speakers, but here they are, ready and willing. So I want you to put yourself in their shoes for just a minute, and remember that these moments can be a little bit intimidating, so I want you to cheer them on and be excited because they are going to do such an incredible job. Can, y'all, can I hear how excited you are to hear from them? Good morning. Uh, My story started 22 years ago. It was November 1996, and I was asked to babysit three small children. Um, The parents were really looking for someone who could stay overnight so that they could go away. And by December, I was staying a week with the children doing their entire routine. I remember loving that week and really missing all three of them when I was back home. Looking back, I believe my legacy started that specific week. Three months later, February 1997, the family needed help again, except this time it could be one or two nights, four or five, maybe a week, they just weren't sure. The mother had been diagnosed with a neuroendocrine cancer. That's a tumor that spreads rapidly through the body and includes the brain. They needed to be able to get up and go. I find it no coincidence that I had just been with them three months before, knew the routine, and could jump in. 18 months later, in August of 1998, They needed help again, except this time it would be indefinitely. The mother was no longer able to do what she once could. So I came in, shared air with her and her children in her home. We had about a week of summer left, and then the children would start school, kindergarten, third, and fourth grade. Less than a month later, on September the 10th, 1998, their mother would pass and move to heaven. 
I find it no coincidence that I was with them on this day. At two o'clock in the afternoon, their dad called. Mamie, things are not good. Please do not bring them home after school. I'll communicate with you later. So much later, I delivered them home to their dad. And as the front door closed, I turned, sat on the front steps, knowing what was about to transpire. Within seconds, I could hear the cries of all three of the children. And I knew which cry went with which child. It's a sound that I'll never, ever forget. I find it no coincidence that I was able to capture that moment. So from 96 to 98, a relationship, a consistency, a familiarity had been established with the children and I, but not because I knew to do that or even realized that's what was happening. I believe it was supernatural. I believe that God Almighty designed that to emulate who he is and who he would be. A desire had been birthed on the inside of me after she passed, but really it had been conceived two years before that. See, the Lord is a constant. He's immovable. He's unstoppable. He's steady. He's not going anywhere. He is surprised by nothing. So my human desire was just a smidge of who he is. And he put that on the inside of me because that was his desire to be that, to be a constant for that family. So as the story goes, the dad and I married two years later and we've been married 18 years. He's a wonderful man, totally devoted to his family, crazy smart. The joke at our house is that most of the things he says, I respond with, how do you know that? Where did you read that? Um, but since raising three children is so easy, we added two more. So we have five children, and they love each other for the most part. See, I could not leave a legacy of consistency to my family if the Lord was not a constant. There would be no way to do that. Life is too hard. The ups and downs of the mental and physical wears and tears of life, it's too hard, but because the Lord is constant, than I can be. So there are some of you here, life's pretty good. No real issues at the moment. I would encourage you to be a constant for someone. Be a voice, a face, a presence for someone who needs that. There are others of you 
that are living under the burden of just complete chaos. And I'm really here for you to remind you that the Lord is a constant. He's not going anywhere. The word says so. He will never leave you or forsake you. Those are his words. And I want to remind you that it doesn't matter what you do. He's not going anywhere. Thank you. I didn't grow up in a safe home. Many days I went to bed asking God why he had put me here, why he even created me if this was what he had in mind for my life. I was born into a verbally and emotionally abusive home. Many days I went to bed asking God if all the words spoken over me were true. Was I really worthless? Was I really unwanted? Was it really all my fault? I didn't know a secure love from my parents. I didn't know I held value. I didn't understand how a child could be treated the way I was. And I didn't know that it was possible for me to ever be truly loved by anyone. So my self-hatred grew. I was 17 the first time I cut myself. And it was the first time I thought I had found an answer to my pain. I didn't know I had given not just a foothold but an entire doorway for the enemy to invade. I made agreements, and in more ways than one, I continued to destroy the body that God gave me. I had always been a sickly kid, in and out of doctors and specialists, but my health hit rock bottom at the age of 20, when my whole system shut down. The extreme stress of my household and the shame I lived with every day staked its claim. I could barely walk, stand or function. For almost a year, I laid in bed as I allowed depression to also have a piece of me. At this point, I told God I didn't want to live anymore. I was done enduring. I was done just getting through every day. There had to be more to life than pain. So in September of 2014, I was admitted into Havenwick Mental Hospital and spent five days in the closest place to hell I ever wished to be. I was deemed a severe threat to myself, and with no promise of a release date, I feared for my safety and sanity. I didn't eat. They wouldn't let us go outside. Women from all different walks of life showed up too. Some were just needing help, some with depression, anxiety, bulimia. Others were out of control and hysterical. Between the screams and crying from the other women, I did, however, hear God's voice that day. He said, my daughter, I am with you, and we are going to do this together. On the third day, my dad wanted to pay me a visit. Um, God had been chipping away at my dad's heart at this point, and I began to see a change in him. It wasn't visiting day, however, so he wasn't allowed to see me. How was he going to be able to find me? I was on the top floor of the hospital on lockdown. Acts 16, verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and all of their chains came loose. There's no explanation, 
no human justification for how my father was able to easily walk through every threshold of that hospital, through every unit, every doorway, and make his way up to find me. But he did. He found me and flung his arms wide open, and like a child, I ran to him, and he said, everything's going to be all right. So today, I can stand here and attest to God's goodness and share with you that through years of intentional mentoring, prayer, and first and foremost, the power of the Holy Spirit, I am now free of the chains of childhood trauma, self-hatred, and self-harm. Um, just this past week, I got back from a trip to Israel, and my dad was actually the one who asked me to go with him, and never in a million years would I think that my dad would wanna go to the Holy Land with me, um, but he did. I cannot even begin to tell you the amount of healing and restoration that took place between a father and a daughter as we walked the streets that Jesus himself walked. There were countless moments that will forever mark my heart, but this one is special. So my dad was baptized in the Jordan River last week and I was given the opportunity to sing a song I had written for him. Um, for years, I had lived with so much bitterness towards my dad for doing the things he did and causing so much pain, but over the last few years, God has really been softening me and challenging me, and one day, God said to me, do you see your dad how I see him? Do you give him the same patience and grace that I give to you? The forgiveness I have faithfully extended to you, I am asking you to return to him. So I sang the song over my dad, and before I did, I said, Dad, I know our family has been through so much, but I am so proud to call you my father because you are leaving us a legacy of redemption, and that is the greatest gift I could ever ask for. And as I watched the waters of the Jordan River wash over my father, I watched as all the bitterness went away, all the pain and, and the suffering and the words spoken over me washed away too. And I couldn't do anything but raise my hands and praise God. So I know it's Mother's Day weekend, but can I talk to the moms and dads for a second? No matter how far you think your child has strayed, no matter how deep they are in the pit of destruction, no matter how bitter they may be towards you, please never give up on them. Hold on to the hope that we have a miracle working God because this happened too. And daughters and sons, I know there are some unfathomably painful stories in this room. I have one too, and some of you might be sitting there thinking, that's great and all, but I don't have a dad like that. I didn't either at one point, but put nothing past our God. Don't put healing or redemption past our God. We have a miracle-working heavenly Father who sees it all, and he is a God of redemption. Thank you.
Well, son, I'll tell you. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time I've been climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you sit down on them sets because you find it kind of hard. Don't you fall now, for eyes are still going, honey. Eyes are still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. The poem I just read to you is called Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. When I read it, it resonates with my spirit, and when I say it, it sets my soul on fire. It speaks my truth, and it knows my language. It is who I am, who I was, and who I will always be because of those who surround me. A fighter, a warrior, a daughter of the king. But don't get me wrong, I didn't always see it that way. In fact, at one point in my life, if you would have asked me who I identified the most in the Bible with, I would have emphatically told you Naomi, who in her deepest sorrow said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. See, for years my life had been marred by the shame of my past. And when people would ask me my name, I thought it better to attach myself to someone or something other than the king, the king of kings, of course, the one who chose me when I wouldn't even choose myself, the one who chose me in my miry, murky mess of a life, filled with the shame of unwed pregnancy, sexual abuse, and domestic violence. The one who whispered in my ear, though, 1 Peter 2 and 9, which says, but you, Tazanedra, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person for my very own possession that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And because of this light and this promise, I now can stand before you and say, God's promise has not come back void, but has achieved what it set out to do through the help of places like Seacoast Church, this church, the North Charleston Dream Center, and people just like you. See, I've been mentored by sisterhood women, Titus II women, like Debbie Hopper and Dee Miller, who came alongside me and championed my faith by holding my arms like Aaron did Ur when, the, when they fought against the Amalekites. Praying and interceding on my behalf, they allowed me to see faith in action by calling me their daughter, their sister, and their friend when we weren't even next of kin. My children have been mentored to the glory of the Lord by men like Steve Atwell and Stephen Trusk and pastor, the awesome pastor, to Melix Copeland. <laughs> men who did not plant them, but who accepted the call on their life to stand in the gap for fatherless children through our E3 mentoring program funded by this church. And let's not forget men and women like Pastor Sam and Joan Lesky that showed me that whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And even though I didn't come from a perfect nuclear family, I was surrounded by a church and a people that would rally around me and adopt me into their lives, giving me and my children a piece of their legacy to hold on to until we could create our own. 
So today, if you feel out of place or unsure of your path, know God is in the business of giving beauty for ashes, going from darkness to light, and is the originator of giving legacy by giving his son, Jesus Christ, for all of us to receive. We are family. This is my legacy. From a show of hands, how many of you would say that you are planners? Yeah, that's good for 1130. Um, so that means that the rest of you are either semi-planners or spontaneous, right? And if you're not sure which of those you are, if you haven't bought a Mother's Day card yet, you're probably spontaneous. Well, I'm definitely a planner, and it served me well, except you would think I could get one family photo with all of us together, but it seems to be harder and harder these days. But my planning skills and strengths have served me well, except when it comes to following God's plan at all times in my life. You see, starting at the age of 16, I was convinced that I would work in full-time ministry. I ordered seminary catalogs, and I started planning my life until my pastor sat down with me and said, well, Debbie, there's only two places women can serve in the church. You could serve children, or you could serve in music. I wasn't very good with children, and I was even worse at music. So that started me on about a 15-year bent of doing things my own way and being pretty angry with God. But in my early 30s, one beautiful poem helped me loosen my grip on knowing and having the plan for my life. It's called The Weaver. You may have heard it, but it begins like this. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me, I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Because you see, suddenly at 31, I was out of a marriage. I was living in near poverty and single mom to two young daughters. I began to understand that maybe I didn't see God's whole plan for my life. Because after all, divorce was not part of my plan. Living paycheck to paycheck was not part of my plan. My life looked like the underside of a tapestry with lots of knots and messy, loose threads. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. But during these dark thread years of my life, God drew me back to him, and he spoke words from what became my life verse in Isaiah 43.1. Now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. I felt God redeem my divorce, and then he called me by name as he began to promote me in the corporate world just so that I could provide for my family. It still wasn't easy at that point. My father, who was an alcoholic, ended up in a wheelchair with my mother and I caring for him. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. What kind of pattern was he weaving? Was there an upper side of the canvas that I couldn't see at that point? Have you ever been there? You might be there right now looking at those messy threads. But years later, I began to see how those years of struggling as a single mom helped prepare me to understand the needs of women better than any number of years in seminary could have. 
Caring for my dad gave me compassion for those who have physical limitations and gave me a deep love for their caregivers. At 40, God led me to my forever husband, Gibson, and we began planning a life together in Charlotte, North Carolina, until both our companies went through mergers after 9-11, and we found ourselves relocating to Charleston to start over again. Still in the corporate world, I served at Seacoast as a volunteer for six years, until one day the women's pastor called me and asked me to interview as her administrative assistant. About a year later, she retired, and I found myself in my 50s fulfilling the dream of ministry that I had had back at 16. It has been my joy to serve as the women's pastor here for 10 years. It's been a dream, really, a dream that's been in my heart since I was 16, and God never forgot about it. But now he's calling me on to my next with a clear directive to step out of this into a new thing and a new rhythm. God has more for me, but once again, I find that I'm a planner without a plan, a strategist without a strategy. But Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. The Greek word there for workmanship can be translated masterpiece. God is weaving a masterpiece in me, and I trust the weaver. What is he weaving in you? What dark threads are in your tapestry? What knotted threads feel messy? You are a masterpiece. He is not finished with you. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. Okay, so how many of you are grateful that your seat is down there and not up on this stage right now, right? This morning, what I wanna share comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. It's what we commonly refer to as the Last Supper, where Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. In verse 19, he takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them to eat. I want to highlight here, he gives thanks. See, Jesus is fully aware that this is his last meal and that his life is about to be taken from him. Yet even knowing this pain, he gives thanks. I've sat in these seats for 13 years now. I've cried, I've prayed, I've worshiped. I've bowed in reverence to a God who is at work in my life even when all I felt was pain. I sat back there one Saturday evening it was the day after a DNC surgery left me with an empty womb and a broken heart. Days later, I faced the reality of the pathology results. It was a rare pregnancy that doesn't result in an embryo, but a cluster of cells that actually pose a risk for cancer. While grieving the loss of our expected son or daughter, I had no idea I'd be facing a possibility of cancer. I felt fear, I felt doubt, I felt uncertainty. But in that time, I also felt his presence like nothing I can explain. And I heard his voice, a gentle whisper that can only be identified as the Holy Spirit. It was asking me to trust. 
14 months later, I sat inside a doctor's office exam room staring at a blank ultrasound screen. There would be no baby this time. And I asked God why he would ask me to trust only to experience this pain. Going back to Luke 22, one of the last commands Jesus gives his disciples is to do this in remembrance of me, to take the bread, give thanks, and remember. The Greek word here is Eucharistio. It's the Lord's Supper, communion. It's more than just a Sunday ritual. It's where we take time to pause and remember Christ's work on our behalf. Because sometimes, It's so hard to see how God is leading us. But when we take time to pause and reflect, we can see how those tiny steps of faith, those small moments of saying yes to God, have actually carried us to where we are today. This fall, our family will welcome our fifth child. It's a girl, and her name will be Charis, the root word of Eucharist, which means grace. Because I can look back and remember the pain of the loss, but now I can clearly see how a sovereign and omniscient God was at work in my life and reminding me of the finished work he completed on the cross. And one day we will share the stories of those lost pregnancies with our children and how God strengthened our faith. And there are so many more stories that are our family legacy. It's the same legacy Jesus leaves with his disciples in that upper room during their last meal together. It's a legacy of giving thanks, remembering where God has brought us, and then learning to trust him every step of the way, even when it hurts. This Mother's Day, you may find yourself in a season of pain questioning how you can choose thanks given your circumstances. You may recognize you've heard that gentle whisper, the voice of the Holy Spirit, yet you've allowed fear to push it away. Or you may be overwhelmed by God's grace and goodness in your life, wherever this day finds you. I encourage you, take time and pause, reflect, Remember where God's brought you, and then step forward, fully trusting that he will carry you through. Thank you. Wow, Blair, that was incredible. Thank you so much. Would y'all read that book? I would definitely read that book. Will you guys help me say one more thank you to these women? I know God spoke to me through each of them, and I believe that he has spoken to everyone in this room through at least one of their stories. This is the time in our service where we have created space to process what God is saying to each of us. As we enter into response time, I would encourage you to be still and listen as God speaks to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you 
so much for these stories. Thank you for the messiness that you make beautiful. God, I thank you for your promise that you work all things for the good of your people. You are our hope so that we can hope. You are our healer so we can be healed. You are the weaver so we can trust in the tapestry you are weaving. And God, for anyone who does not know you as the author of their story, I pray that they would submit themselves to you right now. Father, I know that you are constantly pursuing us and I thank you that you never stop, Lord. And I just ask that you would grab a hold of each and every heart who is listening today and turn them to you. We commit this response time to you in Jesus' name, amen.